It took bankruptcy and a U.S. government bailout to save General Motors. But now, GM is solidly profitable and gaining market share again. Even so, that doesn't mean it's fully recovered. It still faces weaknesses in its product line, especially in the American market. How can the company address these issues? Well, we're about to find out because my guest on today's show is Mark Royce, the president of GM's North American Operations. And while you may know that GM now sells more vehicles elsewhere in the world than it does in North America, make no mistake about it. North America is where GM overwhelmingly makes most of its profit. It's still the core part of the company. So stay where you are. We're about to take a deep dive into what's going on at General Motors in just a moment. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Well, here we are in the studio, as you know, with Mark Royce, the president of General Motors North America. Mark, great having you here on AutoLine Detroit. Thanks, John. Always great to see you guys. And also joining us this morning are Peter DeLorenzo, the auto extremist himself. Peter, great having you here. Good to be here, John. And Scott Burgess with the Detroit News. Scotty, great having you here as well. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Mark, there's so much to talk about. Let's jump right into it. During the bankruptcy, GM and a lot of other companies, because of the downturn, had to cut back on their new product development. Looks to me like you've got a lot of momentum in the market right now, but maybe not a whole lot of new cars coming out. Can you tide yourselves over maintaining market share until you get more new models in the pipeline? Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, if you look at this on a pure model major launch basis, um, that's one way to look at it. And if you look at what we're doing on a month-by-month basis in North America uh, product-wise here, um, I think you'll find a pretty compelling story as we move Regal production from uh, Germany into Oshawa and then begin production of all three models of Regal for the United States, the GS, the Turbo, and the regular car. Um, that's one of the big launches we have here in March. Um, we've also got the Camaro convertible pretty much going into the marketplace you know, right now uh, into the spring selling season. So very, a uh, lot of excitement around that. We, we've talked about the, the ZL1 now, so I can talk about that on the Camaro. So that's coming as well. Uh, but I think the, um, uh, you know, the rest of the year really centers around um, our fuel-efficient car portfolio in General Motors for both Buick and Chevrolet. And so you'll see us um, launching the Sonic uh, and the Verano uh, for Buick, um, the Sonic for Chevrolet in, you know, the, the third and fourth quarters of this year in Lake Orion. And so there's a, there's a lot of excitement around those cars, quite a different car from the Cruze, which has now uh, been launched in, in Lordstown, Ohio. We'll see a full year of Cruze. Um, we'll see a full year of the CTS Coupe. Uh, and we'll see um, you know, a full year of a lot of the launches we had last year. So um, there's a lot of excitement around getting a full year of production on all those cars and all the models in those car lineups. Um, so, you know, we've got, I think, a very good approach this year and um, some very important launches for us as well. And there's a couple of surprises that will happen along the way, too. Oh, good. Maybe we'll dig that out of you before the show is over <laughs> yeah. yet. One other question, then, before I let these guys loose on you, too, is that there seems to be a lot of momentum in the market right now. Overall, GM going ahead strongly, but the whole car market coming up. Some executives have said, boy, let's just hope it grows incrementally 
because there's some weaknesses in the supply chain where maybe suppliers aren't going to be able to ramp up as quickly. How do you see it? Well, I, I think that's probably there's probably a little bit of truth in that. And it's not because we have um, bad suppliers in the industry. It's because the whole industry is restructured. And, and so I don't know a supplier or an OEM that hasn't gone through some sort of restructuring over the, uh, the global financial crisis. So when you do that, you change your break-even points. And when you change your break-even points, you structure your capacity at a much lower volume rate uh, and make money at it. And how you increment that break-even point is very important. You can either open new plants and new capacity and pay for that capacity. You can flex the operations within that capacity, which is a very intelligent way to do it. Um, or you can do both. And so uh, I think you'll see the industry incrementing and the supply base incrementing that capacity on an operational basis first in a really responsible way. And then when we get to a point where the whole industry is driving you know, past the 14 and a half, 15 million unit mark, if it does that, then you'll see some um, payment and investment in additional capacity um, you know, on, a, on an operational basis and facility basis. So I think you'll see that, that go. And depending on the company, you know, it may, may have one of those happen first, but um, that's what I, the way I, th I see the industry going. Mark, I noticed you have a Cadillac lapel pen, and, uh, and I know you're immersed in day-to-day -day Cadillac products a lot. Um, where do you see Cadillac going? Uh, you showed a very small car in China. You've, there's been rumors of a, an Uber Cadillac, if you will, at the upper ranges. And, of course, you've got the ATS coming, uh, the smaller Cadillac. Um, are you going to keep pouring it on in Cadillac, and how long do we have to wait for some of these new products? Well, um, I think, you're, again, you're going to see um, you know, the, a full year this year of all the V-Series portfolio that we just introduced. So um, that's important. But more importantly, you're going to see that car race. Uh, we haven't raced Vs in a little while, so you're going to see um, you know, a lot of excitement around what we're doing with that. I, I think is one of the most beautiful race cars I've ever seen take to the track here at Sebring very shortly. So, And your V-Series is doing extremely well. It is. Um, our whole V-Series portfolio is um, now outselling um, some of our competition's performance marks. So uh, we're very happy with that, but we can't sit on our laurels or or be complacent with that, we have to keep pouring the heat to Cadillac, as you say. So you're going to see, um, uh, I think, the second half of the year, something happening in Cadillac product-wise, you know, every month or two, so um, including the racing piece of it. So um, you'll see the next uh, couple of years in Cadillac really uh, be driven uh, to be the new standard of the world. And, you know, we have the product to do that for the first time in a long, long time. So um, we're very excited about it. We're spending a lot of time on the future product in there. You mentioned a couple things that we're working very hard on, um, and I won't confirm any of them, but uh, uh, very exciting because I think you'll see Cadillac emerge in a way that um, is uh, – more technological than it has been in the past. Um, we've done, um, I think, some products in the past where we had to add horsepower as the last resort. Um, the horsepower and the mass efficiency of the new Cadillacs that are going to come into the portfolio, I think, are going to be landmark. And they're going to show um, what our engineering and design can do in a completely different way. And so I think that's very exciting. Uh, Mark, you mentioned the fuel economy story. And the uh Buick is bringing out its e-assist system, which is a mild hybrid system, which is promising a LaCrosse at 37 miles per gallon, a Regal at 37 miles per gallon. When can buyers expect to find that two-mode gas electric sedan? 
in any of GM's lineup? Well, I think uh, uh, I think uh, I'm not going to give away our whole portfolio, but but I can tell you I can tell you this. Um, I can tell you that uh, eAssist uh, will manifest itself um, across lots of different places in GM, and there may be crossovers, there may be cars, but it won't be every car and crossover either because um, that system, if you look at the physics and the cost of it and the fuel economy delivered on it, um, may not outperform a 1.4 liter turbo in a cruise, okay? And it gets into the physics of that, okay? And so if you look at this and how it works, and the duty cycle that it takes advantage of, you know, it's perfectly suited for um, a Regal LaCrosse. Um, it's probably perfectly suited for any of our mid-sized cars and then our smaller crossovers. Um, I would even say that um, on some of our light-duty light trucks, um, there's a place for it perhaps, but um, the physics around that have to make sense on a payback basis for the customer first. And so two-mode hybrid systems are expensive. Um, we've got them on a rear-wheel drive basis in our trucks and some of our SUVs. Um, and we know what it costs to do it. Um, there's probably another version of that beyond that that's called a four-mode system. But again, you know, these are, these are systems that are transmission-based and they have electric motors inside the transmission um, that brake and accelerate you know, the primary output shaft of that. And so the control system is, 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 is very complicated. Um, and again, it has to make sense for that car or truck. But on a pure payback basis, we have to be very, very careful with that because you know, doing things that people don't want to pay for on an operating cost basis is like betting on fuel prices. And so doing it just to do it um, is a very dangerous game. Um, that's why e-assist is so compelling, because if you get 20 to 25% on a car basis in a system that's in the $1,500 to, to $3,000 range, that's a big, big difference than going to you know, five dollars to $10,000 on a full-blown hybrid system. So you know, those are, those are um, you know, we're, we're going to play in a lot of those segments, but I don't think there's one strategy that you can say, you know, this is going to be the new GM fuel economy strategy, because we're going to have you know, things that make sense for different people and customers and segments. So. But you still have to meet fuel economy regulations set by the we government. Do. And mm -hmm. after 2016, looks like they're going to get real tough, especially yeah. on the truck side. And your hybrid trucks, pickups, and SUVs really haven't caught on in the market. How are you going to convince customers to buy those? Because like you say, it's got to be a payback for them or they're not going to buy it. Right. And yet you got to meet the fuel economy regulations. Right. And I, I think you're going to see the whole industry on a mixed basis really change. And it has to, to your point, for all the reasons you just said, um, you can keep pouring money into hybrid systems on pickup trucks. That's, that's one way to solve it. Okay. That's an expensive way to solve it. Or you can say, okay, like the rest of the world that's at $5, roughly $5 a gallon of gas, um, the, micro, you know, the micro segments that emerge under that regulatory activity are, are vehicles that do 90% of what, say, a pickup truck did with um, you know, half of the cost of operation and emissions and carbon footprint. So um, you know, the rest of the world has this, okay? And I think you're gonna see it come here now on a regulated basis into the United States. So you know, maybe, maybe I drive my pickup truck um, you know, because I love the way it looks and I love the way you know, um, I can do things with it. Maybe I put motorcycles in it, maybe I put bales of hay in it, maybe I, I tow big things with it. You know, th those people will still need a pickup truck to do that. Um, but the number of people who buy outside of the bandwidth of the duty cycle of that will decrease. And so I think you'll see that happen. And, I, you know, it has to happen, I think. 
So, Mark, um, the perennial question, what can you tell us about the seventh generation Corvette? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, in general, we know yeah. it's slightly lighter, and I mean, I think the um, I think you're going to see something on Corvette that um, will take um, the design of the car to a completely different place. I think you're going to see something on the Corvette on a performance basis um, that is quite different than anybody else is doing, um, no matter what the price point is. And I think you're going to see a portfolio of Corvettes um, that may help. Um, all different kinds of buyers with different means buy a Corvette. And so I'll leave it at that, but I think it's pretty exciting. And I think it's very, I think No, it's no, very don't exciting. leave it at that. What do you <laughs> mean different buyers? A Corvette for every uh, purpose and purse? No, I don't want to go back to, you know, an original GM um, uh, slogan because it, it, it's frankly outdated when you talk about Corvettes. Corvettes all have to be very special, but there's a lot of different um, tastes in the performance car market. And so I don't mean to imply that everybody um, can buy one. It's, 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 um, it's still, you know, the, the very highest level of performance, and I think it will be the very, very highest levels of design, um, and I think it's going to be spectacular, and I'll leave it at that. Could, could we see maybe an alternative powertrain? Um, I think you could, yeah. I think you could. Keep asking, Peter. When, yeah, <laughs> when is the seventh generation supposed to hit in the market? Um, it's it's um, December of next year. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I really can't say when 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 we're gonna we're gonna put it out. But um, love love to be able to tell you all the details of it. But um, I can't. I knew I know one thing that you can't afford to let this generation uh, linger in the market as long as the last one. Is that correct? Yeah, I think um, unfortunately, um, you know, the, the the Corvettes of the recent past have been planned for you know, five-year life cycles, and not one of those have um, actually been in the market for five years. So um, for various reasons, and I think various states of corporate healthiness. So um, Corvette's done a tremendous job for us because the car was so right when we did it that we were able to extend it and still be successful with it. But I think um, the market in those days are probably gone. So we're going to have to see a lot uh, shorter life cycles on the Corvettes, and it needs to be. Yeah. John started off the show talking about coming out of bankruptcy and the product uh, cadence that we're going to see even now. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people always understand the the amount of time it takes to develop the new cars and and things. On the cars that are currently out there, which ones do you think have suffered the most or are in most need of a refreshing? Uh, from, a, from a GM market standpoint? Yeah. Um, I think the uh, Impala and I think the Malibu are probably the two biggest uh, keys for us on a vo pure volume basis, and they happen to be in the same brand. But, um, you know, I'd also say, um, you know, the DTS and Cadillac has, has run a long time, and it's been very successful for us. But, you know, we need something um, like an XTS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. XTS coming. And so I think that's really going to be helpful for what, us. What about the too. Silverado? Uh, the Silverado is um, is doing very well, as evidenced mm -hmm. by this last month, and, and you know, the whole... 2010, it still does very, very well. So um, the question is, is um, you know, the heavy-duty piece of it as well. We just redid. Um, so that's a very successful product for us, too. So we'll have a full year of that, and we put another third shift in Flint because of the demand of it. So those are all positive things for the Silverado, but, um, you know, you can always – I always want more – better product earlier. So um, I'm always an advocate for that because that's what drives the market. And, uh, and so the, the faster we can do some of th those things, you know, the better off we're going to be. But I, I think, yeah, I would love to have um, a Silverado earlier. Yeah, a new one. 
So, but um, the truck is, is a great truck and it drives a tremendous amount of loyalty and repeat buyers. And it's a, you know, it's a very durable, reliable truck and people use it. And, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of pent up demand and we're seeing it being released and, you know, they're buying the truck um, like crazy. So it's good. So, you know. Let's talk about the Volt. It's gotten yeah. all kinds of attention for the company. Volume is still very, very low. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been talk in GM of trying to double the production of that thing. W what can you do with the Volt? Well, uh, I think um, the, the Volt, um, as we go into um, the rollout across the United States of the Volt, um, you're seeing uh, relatively low um, production and sales numbers, um, but that's to plan. And the reason is because um, we've pulled our, our rollout up about six months. Um, so that was phase one. And to do that, we had to supply, you know, we want our dealers to be able to talk about the Volt. And we want able, you know, to have people um, see the Volt, touch the Volt in, in our dealership. So um, we, we fed our, you know, some of our early production into the demo fleets of all of our dealers so they can use that. Um, to sell more Chevrolets, but also, you know, to have, you know, a Volt in your, in your showroom, which is great. So um, you're seeing some of the, um, we're selling every one that we put on to a dealer's lot, um, sometimes at markup, which I'm not real crazy about, but I can't quite control it. Um, but the, uh, you're seeing us fill that pipeline of demos too. And so when we move up the rollout and then we, we funnel those into the demo and then we get into the actual production and sales of it, which we're doing right now, you're seeing the first ones in Michigan up here. Um, then you're seeing us ramp up cell production. And so the cell production now um, gets uh, localized in Michigan. In and Holland. you're talking battery cells. Battery cells, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Good, good, good catch. Not the battery itself, but the battery cells. And so those cells are manufactured by LG. And you're seeing the production line come online here in Holland. And then you're seeing us um, expand our Brownstown assembly of the battery. And then you're seeing us expand our DHAM production on Volt 2. So you're seeing that all happen. Um, what is it going to be? You know, we're studying that. And I think our chairman, or chairman and CEO have said that. But, um, you know, we're, we're being very careful and responsible and you know you can't have it both ways. People say, "Oh, go out there, great guns, and, and blow it out." Well, you know, I'm not sure that's the right strategy for Volt. We need to be very careful, and we need to to help people understand the car. Number one, and we have to have um, you know a good value um, for the technology, and, and and have people understand that value. And you know, we want to use it to create the excitement that it was designed to create, and so we're doing that. Um, so I, I don't think. Um, you know, anything um, discussion-wise would be responsible until we have that study done and then have a plan around what we just did un really understood. And right now, we don't have all the data yet. Is so. the Volt helping to sell other Chevrolets, i.e., are people is. coming into the showroom yeah. just to see it and then they buy, end up buying something else? Sure. I mean, when you walk in and you see a cruise that gets 42 miles per gallon sitting there um, next to the, the, the Volt, it's, um, you know, people... The awareness of the cruise, we haven't had a great small car for many, many years, if, if, if ever in my career. So um, that car and the recognition of it and the, and the awareness of it um, is low. Uh, and so that's why, you know, this was, this was a, not a, a casual thought about how we timed this so that we brought people in with things like the Volt. And then, you know, it surely helps sell cruise, surely. 
So, um, you know, we've got a car that is segment leading fuel economy sitting right next to it for a very good price. That's a very good car. So, you know, there's no question. And we'll be able to tell you that actually very shortly because um, in the next two months we'll have, you know, sort of the availability of the cruise um, in place. And then we'll have some of the, you know, most of the availability of the Volt in place. And we'll be able to tell you data around, you know, the cross pollination of those buyers. Have you been able to to gather how much misinformation is out there about the Volt? Um, it still seems that a lot of people don't know how it works. Right. Or, and how do you correct that once the the wrong information is out there? <laughs> it's 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 an inter- it's a great question because honestly, when we when we were launching the car, and we're still sort of launching the car, but when we're beginning to launch the car, we really talked about um, you know, uh, do people really understand how this works? And the answer was no. And so if you look at some of the advertising and some of the creative and then some of the training we've done, we have done more dealer training on this car in preparation for delivery than anything in General Motors history. And the reason is is because um, it's not something you can whip off in a sentence. Um, It's an electric car. Yeah, okay, it's an electric car. It's got a gasoline engine in it. Well, how come? You know, electric cars are supposed to be plug-in electrics and they use a battery. Well, this is a a generator that charges the battery and runs the car sometimes when it needs it. And so that's a, that's a very difficult conversation um, just with my wife and my family because they, no one's ever seen that before, okay? And, until you can touch the car and see the car and then see the graphic on how it works on the, on the dashboard, that's why these demos, we know these demos are very, very important for the education of people that have heard about the car, that are curious about the car, they come in and they see how it works. So yeah, it's, it's, it's the biggest challenge in launching something that's this different. General Motors also announced that it's going to have a diesel version of the Chevrolet Cruze, which I find fascinating. No, we haven't. You haven't? <laughs> well, somebody else announced that then. No, someone rumored it. Somebody <laughs> rumored it. Well, let's just talk diesels in general. Okay. Do they have any chance in the American market from GM's standpoint? Uh, yes. Um, the answer is yes. Number one, we, we have a terrific, a terrific truck biz, diesel business, you know that. But from a passenger car standpoint, I think they do. And I've always said that they, I think they do. And the, the cost of petrol, you know, regular gasoline, um, will help bring this into focus as it increases. Because on a, just on an energy density basis with diesel fuel and the way it's used, it has an advantage. And so that, that thermodynamic cycle is a very efficient cycle. And so, um, and we all know when you go outside of this country and you drive cars um, in, you know, diesel-happy Europe and and some of those places in Australia, um, these are great cars and they're fun to drive and, uh, you know, there's not a thing wrong with them. But we have to have an economic uh, equation happen here that I think is beginning to happen. So I think, yes, the answer is yes. What about the rumors on the hatchback cruise? Is there a chance of that coming here? Well, um, you know, uh, before bankruptcy, there was a lot of decisions made on um, what we could and couldn't do from a financial standpoint. And so um, the cruise hatch was designed while I was in Australia, in Australia studios, and it came out fantastic. And we, we knew it was going to be a winner. So, um, in fact, the Australian cruise just started production um, Monday of this week. And so they've got the hatch and, and the regular car. Um, I think we would have loved to have had the car here. Um, yeah, but... Um, this late in the life cycle of the global cruise rollout, um, I think financially it's a tough sell um, because if we tooled it up, brought it in, um, and it sold like crazy for a year, 
and we get to the next, you know, next um, version of Delta globally, um, you know, that's probably the right place where we really look at the market again and say, you know, we need to make the right decision this time. But How far away is that? That's... Oh, what the, it's about the same time on the Corvette. Yeah, it's about the same time. It's about the same time on the Corvette next December. <laughs> we'll be looking for the next December time frame. No, it's it's. But I, you know, it, I'm talking a little bit in generalities, and I again apologize for that. But I think that that's the reality of of um, you know we we went through bankruptcy, so um, it's you know that's the way it is. For now. There, there seems to be a, a resurgence in hatchbacks. Uh, mm-hmm. Ford is finding that 50%, 60% yep. of the Fiestas are hatchbacks mm-hmm. and Focus, they're expecting a 50-50 split. And I mean, that's very good news for people that like hatchbacks. It is, and I, I, I wouldn't forget that, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this before the show began, but um, between Sonic and Cruise, they're very different positioning, um, either just by looking at the cars or by the size or, mm-hmm. or by how we're going to position those when we market them. But um, I think, you know, don't forget the Sonic. Um, Sonic has versions of this that are very compelling. And so it's not a bad thing to have Cruise and four-door only here. And Sonic have a couple different versions of this to go after that piece of the market instead of cannibalizing, you know, just because we have another global cruise hatch out there. You know, I'm not sure that's a good thing either, right? I mean, um, we'll see because I think you're going to see different buyers uh, buy those different cars at different price points with different body styles. I think that's a good thing. Minivans, that's the only thing I see in your lineup that's uh, got a hole in it in yep, North America. Yep, yep. What are your thoughts on minivans? Well, um, I would love to have uh, a minivan in uh, North America for General Motors right now. Um, I, uh, I used to work, do a lot of work on minivans, and I know that um, how useful they are. i got three kids. Um, people still want that utility, and the utility is second to none. Um, how you do that is, um, I think... Uh, you can you can go after the market in in a in a con- reconfigurability basis, you know, and differentiate yourself on a recon. You know, my seats fold into the floor, um, you know, my roof comes off and slides. I, I don't know whatever that is, right? You can do all that, or you can do it in a way that maybe hasn't been done before, in a size that hasn't been done before in the United States, which I think is a very compelling idea. And, and I have to watch and see what you guys do with that. But I'm afraid that we're out of time right okay, now. But Mark good. Royce, thanks so much for stopping thanks, by. Thanks, John. It's been great it. having you. Peter DeLorenzo, Scott Burgess, great having you guys. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. General Motors certainly seems to have some momentum in the marketplace these days. As long as the American economy and car sales continue to improve, GM should do well. Join us again next week when we'll be looking at the newest brand at the Chrysler Group. Are you familiar with Mopar? They're really starting to do something with that brand, and most interestingly, it's an Italian, Pietro Gorlier, who's in charge of that operation. I think you'll be interested in learning what he's doing with Mopar and what he is all about. So join us again right here next week on AutoLine.